Welcome to the Growing Downward podcast, brought to you by Reformation Heritage Books. We're pleased to present Nick Thompson's sermon series on humility that was the impetus for his book, Growing Downward, a work that centers on the necessity of true humility in Christian life. Thanks for listening, and be sure to get a copy of Growing Downward at heritagebooks.org, and also make sure to visit growingdownward.com where you will find information, including interviews, study guides, and more. Romans 12, be reading verses 1 through 8. Let's give our attention to God's holy word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word. Lord, we pray because we recognize that we are entirely powerless to do what needs to be done this morning. Lord, we have no ability to sanctify our own hearts, no ability to see what you have here for us in your word, apart from the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. And so, We pray and we ask this morning that you would send your spirit, that you would pour out your spirit upon us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take our minds and our hearts, even as we have just sung, that you would take them, Lord, and work in them, that you would open our eyes so that the truths that are before us here in this text would be of renewing our minds and so that we might be transformed thereby. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. The individualistic culture that you and I live in shapes us in a way, I think, far more strongly than we care to admit. It shapes the way we think it shapes the way we read our Bibles. Look, for instance, at uh, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. These are verses that are very familiar to us. But I can guarantee that all of us here 
uh, read them in an individualistic manner. We uh, read them to be telling us how we, as individuals, are to pursue our own personal sanctification. I want to argue that a strictly individualistic reading of this text actually falls short of Paul's purpose here. It's a reading not flowing from careful exegesis, but flowing from our cultural obsession with the self. Paul did not write this letter to an individual in Rome. He wrote to the church. And as he begins this ethical portion of his letter in chapter 12, you'll notice in verse 1 that he addresses them as brothers in the plural, as brothers, and that he calls them to give their bodies, plural bodies, as a singular sacrifice. In verse 2, we're given a number of commands here. They're all in the plural. We're commanded to not be conformed. That's not in the singular. It's in the plural. We're called to be transformed, not in the singular, but in the plural. When Paul tells us that by testing, you may discern that you is in the plural. Paul here is writing to the corporate body of Christ. And and that's not only clear in verses 1 and 2, but it's clear as we look at these verses within the wider context, because in verses 3, all the way to the end of chapter 14, this ethical portion of Paul's letter, Paul is explicitly speaking to the corporate church, telling them how their life together is to look in this world. In verses 1 and 2, are the the foundation, they are the bedrock of all of those exhortations that are going to come afterwards. This text is not primarily about me and my personal sanctification. This text is about us and our corporate sanctification. An appeal is being made to us as a congregation to have a pervasively Godward orientation. We won't find the word humility in our text or any derivative of the term, but that's what Paul is after here. He's after a humble church. And we see that in this text there are three characteristics of such a church. The first is this, a humble church is one of Godward consecration. Godward consecration. Look at verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul is appealing to us that we would give our bodies over to God, that we would offer them up to God. He understands that we are embodied souls. There is no vice or virtue that is expressed by us apart from our physical bodies. Think about it. You can't tell a lie without using your brain, your vocal cords, your tongue, your teeth, your lips. You have to use your physical body in order to lie. 
You can't give generously without using your brain and your hands and your feet. Even even sinful passions and virtuous affections do not operate within us apart from the body. We experience things like anger and like love and delight. We experience those affections biologically. And so Paul here, recognizing that, is calling us to give over our bodies in consecration to God because the body is the vehicle through which we live in loving devotion to Him and to others. Notice that God's glory is the ground of our givenness. This is a Godward consecration that Paul is calling us to. And, and he shows us that by grounding this consecration in God's glory. He spent the last 11 chapters setting forth before us the redeeming grace of God in Jesus Christ. He has shown us that in Christ we are justified, we're adopted, we're sanctified, we will be glorified, and all of this flowing from the sovereign love of God. And as Paul has thought upon this, it constrains him to worship. And that's what we find him doing at the end of chapter 11. Worshiping the God from whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. To him be the glory forever. And then we get to chapter 12, verse 1, and Paul says, Therefore, with the glory of God in Jesus Christ looming large, he says, Therefore, in light of all I've just told you, in light of the glorious plan of redemption and its application by the Spirit, in light of the inscrutable wisdom of God revealed in the Gospel, in light of these things, give over your bodies. Give them up to God. This is further stressed when he tells us to present our bodies by the mercies of God. You see that in verse 1. By the mercies of God. Paul's not merely saying that, that God's glorious grace motivates us to consecration. But he's saying more than that. It empowers us. It is the means by which we are to offer ourselves up. Only the recipients of God's tender mercy and loving kindness can live in such Godward consecration. And as we've seen, the reception of God's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, this requires humility. It requires that we have the profound lowliness that is brought about by seeing ourselves as corrupt creatures. It means embracing the bleak realities about our sinfulness. Realities that Paul told us about back in chapters 1 through 3. It means embracing our helplessness and utter dependence upon God to deliver us. When we have this downward disposition that depends upon God's mercies, it will constrain us to Godward consecration. So this givenness to God begins with God's glory. But notice that it also ends with God's glory. God's glory isn't just the ground of our givenness. It's also the 
goal of our givenness. And that's because the aim of our consecration is worship. Paul says we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is a clear allusion to the old covenant worship, wherein living animals would be sacrificed to God. These animals were to be holy. They were to be without spot or blemish. And when these offerings were made in faith, the the fragrance of these offerings was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. It was pleasing. It was acceptable to Him. And now Paul is calling us to offer new covenant sacrifices. Not of bulls and goats, but of our very selves. This is, Paul says, our spiritual worship. It could also be translated our reasonable or rational worship. This, this is just the reasonable response to those who have received such free, lavish grace in God. The response is worship by way of consecration. The great end of our givenness is worship. And worship is all about what? It's all about God's glory. It's all about magnifying and exalting Him. We live in a world that exalts the body. Next time you go to the grocery store, just scan the covers of the magazines in the, in the checkout aisle and you will recognize very quickly that, that the world in which you and I live is one of body worship. Now, Paul, Paul is affirming here that the body is of great value. But the body is not the object of worship. The body is the vehicle through which we worship. Worship is always and only to be directed to God. And only the humble can reckon with that. Only when we have a controlling sense of our creatureliness and our corruption and all the riches of free grace that are ours in Christ, only then will we worship God in humble consecration. So Paul's calling us here to be a church that is devoted to God. A body of believers who recognize they're not their own. We don't belong to ourselves. So when we wake up in the morning, when the alarm clock goes off in the morning, we say, Lord, as a recipient of your free grace, here I am. Here's my mind. Here's my heart. Here's my eyes. Here's my lips. Here's my hands and my feet. Here's my day, my moments, my hours. All of it's yours. Take me. Use me. Have your way with me. I don't belong to myself. Such consecration is the outworking of the downward disposition of a Godward self-perception. It's, it's the outworking of recognizing that all that I am and all that I have is from God, it's through God, it's unto God, to Him be the glory. It's what Paul is calling us to. To be a church that is humble and thereby given over to God in Godward consecration. Notice second that a humble church is one 
of Godward transformation. Look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. A life of Godward consecration is always a life of Godward transformation. Paul commands us here to be transformed. And there's two things we need to see about this command. The first is that it's in the present tense. And that means it entails continuous, ongoing action. This isn't a one-time ordeal like we just have this experience over here. We're transformed and now we're good. This, This is to be a lifestyle. This is to be something we are continually doing. Be continually transformed. So it's present tense. The second thing that we need to note is that it's a passive imperative. Passive imperative. By passive, that means that it is an action that is done to us by another. By imperative, it means that it's something we're commanded to do. It's a command. So God's commanding us to do something that we ourselves don't do. It, it, it might seem like a contradiction of shorts, but in English, we actually use passive imperatives quite regularly. Now imagine a little boy making a mess of himself at dinner. Maybe this doesn't happen in, in your house. Uh, but uh, imagine that, that it's so. And uh, little Johnny's got ketchup and chicken grease all over his face. And mom's trying to clean him up, but he wants nothing to do with it. He wants to keep that rag away from me, mom. And and so mom is, is getting frustrated. And she says, Johnny, let me wash your face. Let me wash your face. Would you just put your hands down and let me wash it? It's a passive imperative. It's a command. Okay, Something Johnny needs to do. He needs to get clean. But he's not the one doing the cleaning. Mom is. Hey, that, that's essentially what, what Paul is saying here. What, what God is saying is your face is always getting dirty. Let me continuously clean it up. You need continual transformation. Submit yourself to the one who alone can bring it about. We're told here that the means by which God brings about this transformation is by the renewal of your mind. The command to be passively transformed, then, is a command to yield ourselves to whatever instrument God would use to bring about the renewal of our minds. And the instrument that God uses is His Word. It's the Bible. We see this in many places in the Scripture, and especially in, in Paul's writing. And I encourage you uh, to, at, at some point, look specifically at 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, where Paul talks there about us being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Same word here for transformation. And how is that brought about? Well, it's brought about through seeing the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And where do we see that? 
Where do we get that spiritual perception of the glory of God in Jesus Christ? Well, it's through the gospel. And where do we read and see the gospel? Well, it's in the scriptures, friends. The scriptures are the instrument that God uses to bring about the transformation that he desires in our lives. And Paul is telling us here that God's word delivers us from worldliness. This is where he begins with the command to not be conformed to this world. At all times and in all places, the world is seeking to fashion us after its prideful, God-rejecting mold to shape our thinking, shape our speaking, to shape how we spend our time and money to shape our relationships and interactions with each other, to shape our goals and aspirations, to shape our perception of God, of ourselves, of each other. Often this happens so subtly we don't even recognize that it's going on. And that is why we must, we must stay close to God's Word. The way of deliverance, the way of not being patterned after this present evil age, is the way of mind-renewing transformation. There is no middle road here. Listen, there is no middle road here. You are either being transformed by the renewal of your mind, or you are being conformed to this world. There's no, there's no neutrality. There's, there's no middle spot here that you can just kind of hang out and be... Okay, the humble, the humble give themselves to God's word because they recognize that apart from it, they will go the way of the world. We saw this when we looked at Romans 7 and the reality of indwelling sin. The humble recognize the evil dwelling in their own chests. And so they cling to the word. I must have the word apart from it, I will wander. So God's word delivers us from worldliness, but Paul's also telling us that it directs us unto godliness. You are to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Listen, that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Those who are growing downward in humility and upward in the fear of God will want nothing more than to please God. They'll want nothing more than to know His will in every circumstance and situation in which they find themselves. And Paul's telling us that that is brought about. You want to know the will of God? You want to please God? Do we as a church, as we make all the little decisions that we make, Together as a body, do we want to please God in everything? Do we want to know His will? Well, this is how it's brought about by constant, prayerful contact with the Word of God. We need to have our minds renewed. And that renewal will cause transformation, which will then enable us to know and to walk in God's will. You see how this command to mind-renewing transformation is the outworking of humility. To know ourselves as creatures 
is to know ourselves as dependent upon God's revelation. We can't know anything about God or about his will apart from his voluntary condescension to us in his word. And to know ourselves as sinners is to recognize our dependence upon the spirit of God, to open our eyes, to understand and receive that word. We can't transform ourselves. You can't do it. Passive imperative. You're the little boy with the dirty face and you can't wash yourself clean. You need God to do it. And humility recognizes that it comes as a as a helpless, needy sinner to God, looking to his word and crying out to him to transform. To do what only he can. That's why a humble church is one that is given over to the Bible. Given over to the Bible. The preaching of the Bible. The reading of the Bible. The singing of the Bible. The praying of the Bible. The humble church says, don't give us a cool, hip pastor. Don't give us fog machines and Cool lights. Don't give us skits and movies. Give us the Bible. Give us God's word or we die. So we see here, see here that the, the humble church is one that's not only devoted to God in consecration, they're also devoted to God's word in transformation. Devoted to God, devoted to his word. And where that is the reality, where we are giving ourselves over to God, where we're submitting ourselves to his word and being changed by it in the very fabric of our being and in our interactions with each other, what is going to happen is we are going to be a body, a group of people that are, as we saw last week, zealously and sacrificially giving ourselves to the service of the church. And that brings us to the third characteristic that we see in our text. The humble church is not only one of Godward consecration, not only one of Godward transformation, but one of Godward ministration. A people devoted to God and God's word will be a people devoted to the exercise of God's gifts. As we give ourselves to God, we give ourselves to him in service. And as we expose our souls to God's word, we are made spiritually fit for service. And how is that service carried out? Well, it's carried out, Paul is going to tell us, by using the various gifts that God has given us. Notice first that God's gifts must be rightly discerned by us. Look at verse three. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul is calling us here to a proper self-perception. 
we've seen that that's essentially what humility is. It's seeing ourselves rightly before God. He's calling us to make a sober self-judgment. Judgment about who we are. And to do it soberly, meaning clear-minded. Meaning not drunken. Meaning not inebriated. Meaning uh, we're, we're thinking rightly. We're seeing properly. The body of Christ, as he goes on to tell us in verses 4 and 5, is like a human body. It's made up of various members that each have different functions and abilities. And God has given us each a measure of gift and grace. What Paul calls here the measure of faith that God has assigned. And it's our responsibility to discern that measure properly. And what keeps us from discerning it properly is nothing other than pride, friends. It's pride. And that that pride manifests itself when it comes to our gifts in two different ways. We either think too highly of ourselves. Okay, that's, that's, that's one way this could be brought about. We think too highly of ourselves, claiming gifts and graces that have not actually been given to us or thinking that we deserve gifts and graces that have not been given to us and thus we find ourselves being jealous and envious of others. So we can think too highly of ourselves in pride. We can also think too lowly of ourselves in pride. Remember that the, the lowly spirit of humility is vastly different than the uh, what what modern psychology calls low self-esteem. Lowly spirit and low self-esteem are not one and the same thing. They're, they're actually polar opposites. And here, here's the problem for some of us. Some of us have gifts and graces that we are not using in the church because of fear and insecurity. It's just reality. We refuse to admit the measure of faith that God has assigned. And, and this is a false humility. It might, it might look humble, but it's actually not. It's defiance of God. It's defiance of what God has given. It's prideful. Whether you think too highly or too lowly of yourself, you are thinking of yourself wrongly. And the reason why is because you're not perceiving yourself before God. You're failing to reckon with Him and His distinct grace to you. Humility is not afraid to say, I am gifted to preach, or I am gifted in administration. Now certainly those statements could be made in arrogance. And there's, there's something within me when I, when I hear people say things like that, that cringes, like it, it just sounds arrogant. It, it sounds arrogant, but it's not. Not if we understand what a gift is. Okay? A gift is a gift. It's not something you earned. It's not something you deserved. It's not something you purchased with your own money. It's something that has been freely and graciously bestowed upon you. It doesn't matter how prominent or public of a gift it is. It's a gift. 
And to embrace and cultivate God's particular gifting is not pride. It's not pride. It is properly understanding yourself before His glory. And this is necessary if we would serve Him fruitfully and faithfully in the church. To pridefully seek to use gifts that we have not been given or to pridefully fail to use gifts that we have been given? This is detrimental to the life of the church. So we must rightly discern God's gifts, but having rightly discerned them, we must then rightly exercise them. Paul says at the end of verse 5 that we are individually members one of another. We are individual selves with individual gifts, but we are not mere individuals. Okay, And we could say that about each one of the commands that we've already seen. You as an individual self are to be offering your individual body to God. You are. You as an individual self are to be subjecting yourself to God's mind-renewing revelation so that you individually might be transformed. But Paul is impressing upon us that we are no mere individuals. That it is individuals, individual members, that are part of one singular body. And we belong to each other. Individually members one of another. Our gifts are not for ourselves. They are for the good of each other. And this brings us back to what we saw last week, that that outward orientation of love. The humble church is a body of believers that's fueled by love, by a desire to selflessly and sacrificially spend itself for the good of others. And one of the chief ways that we do that is by rightly exercising our gifts. Paul goes on in verse 6, say, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. And then Paul goes on to give us a sampling of various gifts and, and to explain how they are to properly be used within the congregation. We'll not take time to look at the various examples here, but recognize that this is not an exhaustive list. There are many ways that God gifts particular members of the body. And if you are a member of this church, you have a God-given responsibility not only to discern how God has gifted you, but then to use that gift selflessly and sacrificially in the life of this congregation. No member is giftless. If you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I just don't have any gifts. You're thinking wrongly. You're actually arrogant. You're proud. No member is giftless. And no member is not needed. Every member has a function which he or she must seek to fulfill in love. We saw this back in in Ephesians 4. That beautiful vision of the church that that Paul gave us. And what did he say at the end there in verse 16? When every member, every member, not, not just some members, not just the most 
prominent or visible members, not just the mouth, not just the hands, but every member. When every member is working properly, working properly in the context, using their gifts to serve one another, when every member is working properly, what happens? The body builds itself up in love. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And the bedrock of that, friends, is humility. It's a proper perception of myself that then fuels me to use whatever God has given me for the good of my neighbor. Because the downward disposition of humility leads to the outward disposition of love, always. And so this this is what Paul's calling us to here. He's calling us to be devoted to God in consecration, to be devoted to God's word in transformation, to be devoted to God's gifts in ministration or in ministry. Beautiful. Just, Just think about our life together here as a church. Cornerstone OPC. Just imagine if each one of us, each one of us here lived this way in every day we we lived this way. If every day we lived in conscious givenness to God, I'm not my own. Take me, Lord, take me and use me. Do whatever you want with me. I'm a servant of Christ. Remember, that's how Paul opens this letter. It's the first thing he wants us to know about him. Hey, before I tell you anything else, I'm a servant of Christ. I don't belong to me. I belong to Him. And imagine if we lived like that. Imagine if every day we lived in conscious dependence upon God's mind-renewing Word. Open my eyes, Lord, to behold wondrous things out of your word. I need to see your glory in your word this morning. If not, I'm going to go the way of the world. Help me. Keep me close to your word. It's my constant meditation night and day. I'm like the man of Psalm 1, like a tree planted by streams of water. Day and night, I'm meditating on your word. I must have the word. Apart from the word, I'm dead. Imagine what it would be like if all of us lived like that. Imagine if every day we lived in the conscious exercise of our God-given abilities. Help me, Lord. Help me today. Take my hands and my feet. I'm weak. I'm, I'm needy. Help me to cultivate these gifts so I can be more fruitful. More fruitful and help me to serve today. Help me to to see the opportunities that are before me today. Help me to seize upon them and to use these God-given abilities for your glory and the good of your church and the advancement of your kingdom. What would it look like if we as a body actually lived this way? I mean, not just talking about it, not just saying, oh, Great sermon this morning, Nick. That was real encouraging. But I mean, actually walking this out. This is God's word. God isn't giving us a suggestion here. These are commands. This is how you are to live. 
as the church, what would it look like? Well, it would look like this. It would look like a humble church. It's really quite simple, friends. It would look like a church that is living from out of the downward disposition of a Godward self-perception. Devoted to God. Devoted to God's Word. Devoted to God's gifts. Is it not stunningly beautiful? Let's pray. Lord, thank You. Thank You so much for Your Word. What a glorious thing it is to be living members of the body of Jesus Christ. To be the recipients of such tender mercies in Christ. Lord, we think of what we would be were it not for that mercy. We think of this therefore in verse 1. Grounded upon Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Grace that our minds cannot even begin to comprehend. We are neophytes, Lord, when it comes to understanding Your grace. We just don't get it. And Lord, if we could, if we could see the grace of God in the Gospel, if we could see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, if we could have that kind of Gospel, Godward, self-perception, oh Lord, these things would just be the natural outworking of that. Consecration, transformation, ministration, And Lord, we pray that You would make that so, that You would make Cornerstone OPC to be a Godward church, a humble church. Please, God, take Your Word and work towards this end. Transform us towards this end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.